Okay, we are in Matthew chapter 8, verse 14. Matthew chapter 8, verse 14. When Jesus came into Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law, that's Peter's mother-in-law, lying sick in a bed with a fever. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and waited on him. When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were ill. And this was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. Okay, so in Matthew 8, verse 14, it says, Peter came, or Jesus came into Peter's home, and Peter's mother-in-law was lying ill. You know what it means if Peter had a mother-in-law? He was married. Peter was married. Uh, So this view that somehow you have to be super spiritual and you don't get married isn't always the case. And and, uh, Peter was, was one of the apostles. And in fact, it may be that all of the apostles except for Paul and Barnabas were married. Look in, in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, and, and mind you, the scriptural definition of apostle is one that saw Jesus with their own eyes and was taught by him. So I know many people today will say, I'm apostle so-and-so. I've met people who introduce themselves as apostle so-and-so, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm always, always struck by that. I was just wondering how many times that they had been imprisoned for their faith or stoned or killed or, or things like that, like, like all of the apostles in, in the first century church or banished to islands and things. It was, it was not something that, that, that was used flippantly, but it was people who actually saw with their own eyes Jesus and also had learned from Him. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Paul is writing, defending his apostleship. He says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife? even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas. So Cephas is is another name for Peter. And and so it it says Peter has a wife. It says the brothers of Jesus had wives by this time. It says all the other apostles. And then in verse 6, Or do only Barnabas and uh, uh, and I not have a right to refrain from working? So, in other words, uh, uh, many... And maybe all of the apostles, except for Paul and Barnabas, were married. And uh, so we see here in, in Matthew chapter 8 that, that even when Peter was a disciple walking with Jesus on this earth, at that time, Peter was married. And uh, uh, Jesus goes into his house, and we don't see anything about Peter's wife here. She might have been out with the kids at soccer game or something, whatever moms did with kids back then. And, and um, you know, you can only imagine what was going on here. That, that um, 
The mother-in-law was ill in bed with a fever, it says in, in Matthew 8.14. And it says, Jesus came and he touched her hand and the fever left her. And she got up and waited on him. If you come to my home and Shireen isn't home, you don't eat well. I will give you a glass of water or a bowl of cereal. And probably Peter said, you know, my wife's not here, my mother-in-law is sick, and would you like a glass of water? And Jesus probably said, we've got to get this mother-in-law taken care of. So he, so he, because as soon as she was better, it says she waited on him. And I understand that. That's just the way things are. And, and, but it talks about in verse 16, after he had healed her, when evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out spirits with a word, and he healed all who were ill. So what I want to focus on is Jesus' casting out of demons and healing people who are ill. You know, in, in our culture... It's interesting to think about this whole idea of demons and demon possession and people with demons. This is something that are, that's easily passed off. I remember a few years into my being a believer, I moved into a discipleship house with a bunch of other Christian guys, and they were talking about demon possession. And I looked at them and I said, you believe in demons? And one of them turned to me and he says, the Bible talks all about demons. What else don't you believe in the Bible? And I was immediately struck by that because that was true. Just as you read through the scriptures again and again, Jesus was dealing with demon-possessed people. He was dealing with them again and again. There are a lot of pages that you would have to rip out of your New Testament if you were to rip out the pages that talk about where demons were active. For some reason, they were quite active in those days. Maybe they're, they are active today, but we pass them off onto other things. I remember driving down the road one day, and, and um, Shireen was, was sitting next to me, and it, we were newly married, and I remember driving down the road thinking, where are all these demon-possessed people? Where are they? And just then, the road started to Get, get smaller and smaller because of construction. It went to one lane. So it went to one lane. I'm driving down the highway and I'm just thinking about this. Demon-possessed people. I mean, where are they? I mean, do they even really exist? Is that something that happens today? And then all of a sudden, as I'm driving along, and it, it was one of these areas that it said you're to slow down to about 45 miles an hour. And so I slowed down to about 45. There's this 18-wheeler truck that came about six inches off my back bumper. And the guy is slamming on his horn and shaking his fists out the window. And there was nowhere I could go. I couldn't go to the right. I couldn't go to the left. You're just driving down this, this single lane and you've got barriers on each side. And the guy was so angry about something. And it's as if the Lord was speaking to me. You wonder where the demon-possessed people are. You think that they're not around today, eh? And God was just showing me that hey, maybe they are quite around today. Maybe these are things that, 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 uh, that do indeed happen. And another instance that occurred was I used to go, we, we, were, we lived in married student housing, 
and I used to go out one night a week witnessing. And I would go all over the place just knocking on doors and sharing Jesus with people. And, and uh, if I was alone, I would go usually through the student union because I didn't want to go knocking on the door of somebody's house and go in there alone because you, you could, you know, if you're alone, you can get in more trouble. And, and um, so I would go around in the student union and just sit with people and talk with them. And one night, though, I was going to go visit a guy that I had met in the union the week before. He had given me where he lived, and I thought, well, I'll go and visit this guy. And I, I didn't go and normally knock on doors alone, because it could be a woman, and if the woman invites me in and I'm all alone with a woman, something, you know, you know people could say things. And, and um, so as I'm, as I'm uh, uh, going and sharing, there were always instances where I would leave my name and address with people all over town. Well, one night I got back and I get this call from a woman. And I don't know where she got my number, but I had left my number all over town. And she started speaking in another language. And as soon as she started speaking in another language, I assumed it was for my wife. Because I only speak one language and my wife's wife speaks multiple languages. So it must have been one of her friends. And so she hands, I hand the phone to Shireen and I say, it's for you. Well, then this woman starts speaking to Shireen in English, saying, saying, um, I want your husband. He is really my boyfriend. Now, that could not be true. I never had a girlfriend. My personality was quite good at keeping women away. <laughs> and, and so it, it, it really could never have been true. It's not like it could have been a long-lost girlfriend or something. It, it just couldn't be. And then she handed the phone back to me, looking at me with this strange face. And what, what's, what's she so confused about? And then I get on the phone with this woman, and this woman starts speaking English. She said, she said, I want you. You belong to me. And so I hung up the phone, and you know, <laughs> I had all this explaining to do to, to, my, to my new wife about what was going on. And I didn't really know what was going on, but I felt all of this oppression coming over the home. It was interesting that outside on the front lawn we found a dead cat. Well, you know, cats die sometimes. You know, they get hit by cars, they die. And you pick up the cat and you throw it in the, in the sewer. You know, you, you do. So, what do you do? What do you do with a dead cat? Yeah, you just, just, just throw them in the sewer. I mean, that's, no? All right, well, this is, this is 25 years ago. I mean, things were different back then. <laughs> you dealt with things in different ways, all right? Times have changed, okay? So, then one night, I felt all this oppression in, in the home. And, and uh, I got up and I started praying. And we lived in marriage student housing on the ground floor. And I started praying and, and it was as, as if there was this, all this heaviness in the home. And I remember lying down on the couch then after praying for a while and going to sleep. And I felt as if I was being choked. And I woke up and I felt as if I couldn't even stand up. And I said, Jesus, help me. Because I had learned if ever you're oppressed, you shout out the name of Jesus. It says the name of Jesus is a strong power. Those who run into it will be safe. Remember that. Remember that scripture. The name of Jesus is a strong tower. Those who run into it will be safe. And I remember then I could rise up. And the windows, we always kept them open because it was cool in the evenings and we'd keep the windows open. There were just screens there, but the, the curtains were closed. And then I started singing about the blood of Jesus. It was all I could think of doing and just 
praying the blood of Jesus over this home, when I started to speak of the blood of Jesus, there was a blood-curdling scream of a woman right outside the window of our apartment. This was like two in the morning. And then it just screamed. And then I heard her running away down the sidewalk. And you know, I wasn't about to go out there. So I called the campus police and they came and they said, we don't see anything out there. The oppression lifted and everything was gone. We had had several other instances, but there were instances where things were quite apparent. And what we're going to see is we're going to read some stories about what demons did in the presence of Jesus and how he responded. And then I'll relate back to some of my own experiences. And for those of you that are such intellectuals, far beyond me, and don't believe in any of this, let me tell you, God is quite good at keeping us in line with where the Scriptures are. And let's jump on down to verse 28. When he came to the other side, this is Matthew chapter 8, and we'll go back to, to the other verses that we're skipping next week or in two weeks. Matthew 8:28. When he came to the other side into the country of the Gadareans, two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs. And they were extremely violent, that no one, so extremely violent that no one could pass by that way. Now let me qualify this. Let me say that this part of Israel was a Gentile area. So these were not Jewish men, they were Gentiles. So there were two men. And they cried out saying, what business do we have with, what business do, do we have with each other, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now there was a herd of many swine at a distance from them. The demons began to entreat him, saying, If you're going to cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. And they came out and went into the swine. And the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the water. And the herdsmen ran away and went into the city and reported everything, including what had happened to the demoniacs. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they implored him to leave their region. Let's look at the parallel account in Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. We'll see how Mark reports the same incident. Mark chapter 5, reading from verse 1. And they came to the other side of the sea, into the country of uh, uh, Gerasenes. And this Gadarean and Gerasenes is the same locale. Just as you can have, you can have uh, uh, Houston is within the state of Texas. And when he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and, and they had been torn apart by him. And the shackles were broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains, and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him, and shouted with a loud voice, and he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you, by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. 
and he began to implore him earnestly not to send him out of that country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain, and the demons implored him, saying, Send us into the swine, so that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission, and coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. And the other account of this is actually in Luke. If you turn over to Luke chapter 8, Luke also reports this. So three of the, three of the gospel writers report this. I mean, this is a pretty exciting experience, right? So this is something that they're going to report on. Luke chapter 8, verse 26. And they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he came out on the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons and who had not put on any clothing for a long time. And he was not living in a house, but in the tombs. And seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said with a loud voice, What business do we have to do with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. And he commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard. And yet he would break his bonds and be driven by the demons into the desert. And he asked, and Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they were imploring him not to command them to go into the abyss. Now there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain, and the demons implored him to permit them to enter the swine, and he gave them permission. And the demons came out of the man, and it entered the swine, and he entered the swine, and they rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. And when the herdsmen saw what had happened, And they ran away and reported it in the city and out in the country. And the people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demon had gone out, sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they became frightened. And those who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well. And all the people of the country of the uh, Gerasenes and the surrounding districts asked Jesus to leave them. For they were gripped with great fear, and he got into the boat and returned. But the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him. But he sent him away, saying, Return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. So he went away and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. Those are the three parallel accounts. Interestingly, this man became a great evangelist. When the next time Jesus returns to this area, the people don't send Jesus away. They have been prepared and they've heard a lot about him from this man. The first account we read talks about two men. The second account talks about one man. One man. That's because they're focusing in on the main guy. If I say Shireen and I uh, went to church, well, assume Shireen and I went to church and then we came back home and somebody meets you and says, hey, I saw a doctor tour at church today. Would you say, you liar? Dr. Tour was with his wife. And you said you only saw a doctor tour. Or some young lady may go to her friend and say, hey, I saw Shireen at church today because they don't care about me. They only like Shireen. And, and, and so just because you only mention one of the two people doesn't mean that there's only one person. They focused in on the main guy. So Jesus comes, immediately they recognize him, and they run up to him, they recognize him as what? The Son of God. All three accounts say, what do we have to do with you, Son of God, or Son of the Most High God? The demons knew Jesus to be Son of God. They recognized something spiritually 
that we don't normally recognize, that the people at that time didn't recognize. There were, he had no stately form or majesty that we should recognize him. They recognized something in the Spirit about Jesus. And then it says, it says in the Matthew account, I'm sorry, in the Mark account, that he had, they negotiated with Jesus to be cast into a bunch of swine because he had been commanding them to come out. Look in, in, back in, in, in the Mark account. And this is, this is actually good to know. In Mark chapter 5, it, it talks about that, it talks about that, um, What verse is that? Help me find that. All right, in verse 8. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So Jesus commands the demons out, and then they start negotiating with Jesus. Well, if we're going to get out, uh, could we go into those swine? Well, you wonder, what's going on here? This is the Son of God. Can't he just say, get out, and they go? Well, there's many instances in the Scriptures where Jesus commanded the demons out and they went out immediately. What's going on here? I think Jesus does this for our sake. Because sometimes when we deal with these things, you have to pray more than once. You have to command more than once. And it doesn't make you a weakling. So Jesus deals with this issue. And he says, for he, it says he had been saying to them. So in other words, Jesus was come out. Come out of them. Jesus had been commanding, and then the negotiation starts. Many authors will write about why these demons had to go into the swine. Some say because demons have to occupy a living being. Well, if that's the case, the swine jumped into the ocean and killed themselves, so the demons weren't in a living being for very long. doesn't say why he allowed them or why they did this. Only that they did this. But these are really strange things. You see, this is kind of messy. You know, what are people going to think of me and my ministry? They're going to think I'm not intelligent if I deal with demons. They're going to think, you know, what's going on here? This could be written about in the newspapers. But they dealt with Jesus dealt with it. And they recognized something in the Spirit. Let me give you another example that occurred just down the road from here. One day I was sitting in Randall's. You know, there's a, there's a little area where there's tables, and, I, and, and, and for, some, for some reason I had like 20 minutes to burn or something I was to meet somebody, and I was sitting there reading my Bible in Randall's grocery store, and, and it, Randall's uh, uh, supermarket sitting at one of those tables, and I hear a guy walking in the door, and he's cursing, just cursing, and it's, it's an older guy, he's, he's, he's probably in his late 50s, early 60s, he's cursing and walking around saying, I want bluebell ice cream. I want bluebell ice cream. And cursing. I'm thinking, well, go get your stinking bluebell ice cream and, 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 you know, stop bothering us like this. So, anyway, he goes off and then I see him coming back, you know, still cursing, but eating a bluebell ice cream, coming toward the table area. You know, and I'm sure he hadn't yet paid for the thing. He's just eating the bluebell ice cream and coming toward the table area and I'm thinking... Certainly, this guy is filled with demons because very often you will find demon-possessed people just unable to control their tongues. Now, not everybody who has a bad mouth is demon-possessed. Not at all. But often you will find this. And I've dealt with many of these folks in the prisons when I had 10-year prison ministry. And so, 
dealt with them a lot. And he was coming, and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be a real mess. Because I knew that I'd have to deal with this guy. And so he's walking toward me. And I'm sitting there reading the Bible, and he was about 15 feet away. And he stops and he looks at me. He says, well, if it isn't one of the children of the Hebrews. Well, I'm a Jew. But there's not a sign on my head that says Jew. As far as I know. All right? And, and you know, you might say, well, my nose gives it away. <laughs> but I'm not sure that that was the case. He recognized something. And he looked at me and he says, if it isn't one of the children of the Hebrews, scoffingly he said this. And he started to walk forward. And I thought, I am going to have to deal with this demon spirit and cast it out. And I raised my head and he stopped dead in his tracks. And he goes, G-U-L-P, gulp. And boom, turns around and takes off. I was ready to deal with him in the spirit. I am telling you, these guys recognize the spirit. They did with Jesus every time. Every time. They can be violent people, but they will never touch you if you deal with them in a spiritual realm. This is what Jesus did. If you don't believe this, then start tearing out pages of your Bible. What other things don't you believe that you'd like to tear out? There is dealing with these things. You don't deal with them every day. You know, some people, all right, that guy had a demon, that guy had a demon, that guy had a demon. My experience is you don't deal with them every day. And you don't go looking for them. You don't try to chase them out. Jesus didn't go looking for demon-possessed people to to cast them out. But it says in Matthew chapter 8, verse 16, and they, and uh, um, when evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. People brought demon-possessed people to Jesus and he dealt with them. He didn't go looking for them. But when they were there, he dealt with them. And there, there are other instances in the scriptures. And Jesus confesses that the Jews in their time, they also practiced exorcism and casted out demons. Look in, in Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 12, verse 27. When they start accusing Jesus of being filled with a demon himself, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 27, Jesus says, If I, by Beelzebul, cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? So Jesus concedes that the Jews practiced exorcism. They did. And in fact, the way the Jews always practiced it is the way that Jesus did it with the Gadarean demoniac, where he said, what's your name? He said, what is your name? And he said, my name is Legion, for we are many. Because the Jews always practiced that you had to identify the name of the demon before you could cast them out. Many instances Jesus would get the name. Other instances he wouldn't get the name. He just cast them out. Didn't bother with getting their name. You read the instances where he dealt with them. Sometimes he just cast them out, just like that, without getting their name. I could care less about their name personally. And plus they're liars, so I don't even know if they're telling me the truth. I mean, one guy walked up to me in the prison, he, and, and, and uh, I said, God bless you to him. He says, I worship Satan. And I thought, he said to him, why would you want to worship Satan? I mean, worship a stone, or worship a rock, or worship a chair, but Satan's really mean. Why would you want to worship him? <laughs> he was taken back by that. <laughs> I don't know if he was offended or what, but it's true. And, and uh, uh, as a believer, we take a stand. Now look in Acts chapter 
19. Acts chapter 19. Again, you see some Jews trying to practice exorcism, but now they're trying to practice it as Christians were practicing it, and they got in big trouble. In Acts chapter 19, verse, um, verse 11. Acts chapter 19, verse 11. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that a handkerchief or aprons were carried from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and evil spirits went out. Now, this is unusual. This is an unusual anointing that Paul had. Verse 13. But also some Jewish exorcists who, were from a, who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them and, and so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Wow. It's pretty exciting. They were claiming they wanted to practice exorcism in the name of Jesus without knowing Jesus. And they said, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, and the demons say, I know about Jesus. And I know about Paul, but who are you? They beat them all up, ripped off their clothes. There were seven of them. Ripped off their clothes and sent them running away. And it says uh, in verse 17, this became known to all, both Jews and Greeks. I mean, if this happens, everybody's going to hear about it. You know, the rabbi's seven sons were running, <laughs> were streaking across campus. You know, they were running away naked. It was, what was it? Friday the 13th or something, Baker 13. <laughs> you know, it w- wouldn't have any, any impact at Rice. I mean, nobody pay attention to it. But it was big news back then. This is what happened. These things happened. And they dealt with it. Let me just say, we open ourselves up to demonic influence when we start dabbling in witchcraft. Many of you may have come from very innocent childhoods where you started dabbling in things. And this is where we begin to open ourselves up to it. And I have seen it. I have seen it with young people. You can be delivered from even the influences of it. Not that you are possessed, but even the influences of it. Sometimes people experience it in the night, in their dreams. Very vivid and scary dreams. You can get with believers and they can begin to pray over you. And you will no longer have those scary dreams. Maybe occasionally, once or twice a year, you might have a scary dream. But not like the pattern that you have. There is prayer that you can be delivered. And if you struggle with these these things, come and see us. Shereen and I will pray for you and you will be delivered in the name of Jesus. No strength in me. But you can be delivered. I have known young people in this very class who have been practicing witchcraft. And they were just filled with demonic activity. One young man, he used to wear a black coat. Black coat, black trench coat everywhere. And, and uh, he started coming in this class, started to open up. Got rid of his black trench coat. I don't know if he left it in his car, started coming to class and listening. Well, it turns out that he started sharing with some people in my house one, one Sunday over lunch how he had been so involved in witchcraft that he and his girlfriend 
that he was supposed to one day pick up his girlfriend and he was late by several hours. She got so upset with his being late, she hung herself in her home. He came to her home and she was dead, hanging over a pentagram. And this guy, of course, was devastated and he realized how evil the things that they had been involved in. They had been involved in animal sacrifice and going into the, to, um, graveyards at night and sacrificing animals. It can really lead to that. And a lot of young people think that it's harmless. It is not. It is not harmless. You, in fact, talk to detectives who work in this area of witchcraft. They'll tell you what it does to young people. It is not harmless. But there's also a very vivid spiritual dimension. I was sitting next to a a woman on an airplane not too long ago, and she was a golf pro. We got to talking, and she started talking about about my faith, and she talked about her sister's faith. And her sister's faith was very odd, and I knew it was the demonic faith. And I said, I'll bet your sister has terrible dreams at night. And right away, she just stopped and paused. She said, yeah, she does. I said, yeah, I know, I know, I understand these things, because they will begin to attack her. In the night. And I said, you will not see her being very comfortable and pleasant. As the years go on, she will get less and less comfortable. Well, anyway, this young man who had been through this experience really needed some prayer. And some students had pointed this out to me. And we were sitting together. There were, there were three, three others and myself. Two students, another woman, and this guy and, and, and an, his present girlfriend. And both of them had been involved in witchcraft. And I started to counsel him, and I said, I'm about to pray for you. And I said, but you're going to have to take steps to break this of your own ways. You can't go back to this old community. And he got this violent look. He stood up, he went out, and he slammed the door. And one young woman who was with me said, you see that? You were just about to challenge the spirits in him, and he took off. The woman stayed. His, his present girlfriend stayed. She got prayer, and to this day, she's not practiced it, and she's now in college, back in college, and doing, from what I understand, just fine. I saw her about a month ago. She came back and visited the class. When we walked out of the class, this guy who had gone storming out was standing on the corner of, by the street. He had gotten his trench coat back. I don't know if it was in his car or something, in the trunk of his car. Got his trench coat back. Things pulled up, and he was moving into this dimension again. You need help, and you get free of it. This is not a comfortable topic to talk about. And there's always intellectuals that think, oh, ha, humbug. Well, good. Maybe you know more science than I do, and you can figure all this stuff out. But if you begin to walk in dimensions of wanting to walk with Christ, there will be times when you will only be able to battle things like this in prayer. And you battle them in prayer. Sometimes it's fasting in prayer. And there have been instances where I've been with people that obviously had demons and I've prayed over them and I've not been able to cast this thing out. There are instances in scriptures where, where, where the disciples couldn't cast out demons. And, and, then, and then Jesus would come and he'd cast the demon out and the di- disciples came to Jesus and said, why couldn't we cast it out? And Jesus said, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. You know, so he would, he would say that there are other kinds that only come out with, with, with continued prayer and fasting. But these are real incidents, incidences, and we see it. Jesus healed lots of them. Lots of them. And I think a lot of them we lock away in institutions. Now, this is not to say that all sort of emotional behavior is demonic. Not at all. From a chemical side, we are amazingly balanced systems. 
you can take, you, you, you can take a certain protein, a certain hormone, a certain steroid, and just modify its concentration slightly in the most normal of human beings. Modify the concentration slightly, and they act like they're demon-possessed. They act absolutely crazy. They're not. There's just an imbalance there. It is amazing to me, thinking about people, thinking about biological systems, it is amazing to me as a synthetic chemist that so many of us are as normal as we are. Because it's just a very slight chemical change, and we go crazy, absolutely crazy. It has nothing to do with demonic activity. It has only to do with a slight imbalance. And that's why a lot of times people, all they have to do is get on medication. Paranoid schizophrenia, for example. It would have been diagnosed as being demonic activity for many years. All that you've got to do is get these people on a balancing medication. They can have a tremendously successful life. The problem is a lot of times that they, they feel that they're just fine and they go off it and then they, 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 they start having problems again. But there are many psychological problems that can be balanced chemically because these things are getting better. To, we're understanding these things better. It's not demonic activity. So not at all is every, all of this stuff demonic activity. It is not. It is just a small chemical imbalance. But that's not to say that everything is a chemical imbalance. There may be demonic activity. You will find it sometimes in young people. Anorexia, for example. A lot of times a father has to take a stand for his children and pray over that child repeatedly, repeatedly. And he can see deliverance for his child from things like anorexia that can sometimes take such hold over, over young people. Uh, our pastor, Pastor Landrum here, he's come in and testified to this class a few years ago. His daughter, uh, um, Gina, who's in the church, and Gina will be the first to stand up here and testify. She struggled with anorexia. She has five boys now, right? Is it five boys? It's five boys. So you see this little woman walking in church with five boys come, you know, walking behind her, like the mother hen with these five boys walking. That's Gina. And, and, and uh, uh, Gina had terrible anorexia. They thought she was going to die. And the pastor and his wife took a spiritual stand finally and prayed over her for several days. And boom, the thing was broken. You take a stand as parents for your children. Some things have to do with demonic activity. Other things do not. It's not always easy to figure these things out. But it's real. And you can't get away from it in the Scriptures. And we can lock lots of people away and say, oh, it's not, it doesn't happen, doesn't happen, doesn't happen around us. But you'll confront them. If we deny the Scriptures, God will put in front of us these very things. Now, let me just say, for those of you who have maybe at some point played around with Ouija boards and things like this, you begin to open yourself up. A lot of the times that's, that's innocent, you never meant anything by it. But if you have residual things that trouble you from childhood experiences with witchcraft and demonic things and you want prayer, get it. Don't be ashamed to get prayer. And you can be delivered from the fear of these things. You can be delivered from these things. But you don't participate in it because it will draw you away from Christ and it will begin to draw you right into severe dreams, severe activity that will destroy your life. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the truth of the Scriptures. And Lord, I pray that You would touch these young people, that they would stay far from witchcraft and demonic activity, 
that they would believe the Word of God and believe the Scriptures. And Father, if there are young people here that have dabbled in witchcraft and this is so impacting their lives still to this day, Father, I pray that they would seek out others to get prayer and get deliverance because they need not live with that sort of attack and that, those sort of, of memories. Father, I pray your grace to be upon these young people and that you would cause them to be strong and walk with Christ. And I pray your mercies, your great mercies to be upon them. In the name of Jesus. Amen.